So welcome to Establish 101, Covenant 5, Passover to Sinai. Was I supposed to do a quick summary of the story? Yes, you will be coming on in about two minutes. Okay, awesome. Okay. Um, I mean, I was willing to let that go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brent uh, said that uh, we didn't need to record the summary, but uh, after the summary, he wanted us to start recording. Yeah, so we've been t uh, talking about uh, a battle going on between uh, Pharaoh, the Egyptian su superpower, and who himself was considered a god, and the almighty and true god of the Israelites. And, uh, and it's also a battle between uh, Yahweh, God Almighty, and... Uh, the created angel who, in his pride, uh, uh, started bringing sin into existence, um, Satan, uh, Lucifer. And because he's behind all these false gods uh, of the Egyptians and any false gods. And, uh, and so far, we've had nine plagues. And, uh, and each time God did exactly what he said he would do in, in judging the Egyptians for their uh, particular Pharaoh for stubbornness and not letting uh, God's people go, but also judging their and showing uh, that their gods were powerless uh, compared to the almighty God. And what did uh, Pharaoh's pride and unbelief cost uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians up to this point? What were some of their losses as a result of their unbelief and pride? All the land and uh, animals and, and peoples were affected by it. Crops. Yeah, they lost crops through uh, locusts, um, and uh, and so yeah, and then there was uh, a hailstorm that killed um, much of the cattle, uh, and anyone else who may have been out at that time. Drinking water. Yeah, lost their drinking water. Um, uh, the Nile uh, River was turned to to blood. And that was uh, a, a key water source for the land. The um, frogs in the, the stench of the land. Right, yeah. yeah. It does specifically mention that uh, when the frogs died, they, they stank. Yeah. And so lost a sense of uh, pleasantness and comfort, I guess you could say, in life, ease of life. Even go further than that, the boils, the lice, and then the boils. Yeah, which affected their bodies uh, and their health. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, so their economy, um, um, their uh, perhaps their respect as a people, like other nations were still around them and they would have looked at, okay, you know, uh, Egypt doesn't seem to be doing too good right now, uh, not, don't seem to be as powerful. Um, and, and again, uh, big question marks about their belief system uh, as one God after another is shown to be powerless 
uh, to save them from the plagues uh, that God sent their way. And, uh, but um, what happened to Israel during this time? Yeah, for the majority uh, of the, the plagues, they were completely spared. I think there may have been one or two bef uh, before God says, now I'm going to make a distinction. There's two before? Yeah, uh, between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And he, he says, You're, you guys, you, you Egyptians are going to get this plague, but the Israelites are going to be spared. Uh, again, just sh showing another aspect of God's power. You know, if... Uh, they were always uh, equally suffering, then it could have uh, put a question mark about God's power uh, uh, in protecting his people. But no, he had the power to protect uh, his people. And uh, in a similar way as how God protected Noah and his wife and their three sons and uh, their wives uh, while everyone else in the ark, uh, outside the ark died. Uh, God gave the Egyptian people um, um, nine plagues, uh, and uh, and they were they were warned nine times. Uh, like uh, Pharaoh was, says, you know, uh, Moses said to Pharaoh, "Let my people go, or this is going to happen." And uh, and so they, they were warned. It wasn't just a, an announcement. I think each time there was an opportunity to let the people go, but uh, Pharaoh refused to. Now, uh, remember back when we um, were talking about Abraham, God had made a promise, kind of a, a negative promise to uh, Abraham in a sense about his descendants. In Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, it says, uh, God said to Abraham, or it may have been Abram at this point, but uh, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great uh, possessions. And I believe uh, that they, it even... Um, mentioned the length of time. I think it said 400 years. Um, and so uh, God promised that that uh, would happen. And so, uh, so many of the things uh, had come true already. And now we're going to be looking in this lesson about the rest of the fulfillment of that uh, prophecy to Abraham. Before we do that, though, Andrew, I'd like you to come up and do our summary, whatever you have felt okay. led to prepare for. Yeah. Brent asked me to do this. He said, hey, do you want to just tell the story of the Passover? I said, that sounds pretty easy, but I didn't realize that it was much, 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 much more than the Passover. So <laughs> let's get going. Um, so the, the Lord talked to Moses and he told him uh, that he was going to bring one more plague on Egypt and that Pharaoh would let them go from Egypt. And, but this time they were going to not just be able to go, he was going to drive them out of Egypt. And uh, he also told Moses to tell all the men and women to ask for gold and silver from the Egyptians. And they gave it to them. Um, 
And the instructions to Moses were to have all the people uh, to, um, well, first of all, he told them that, that at, at midnight he was going to kill every firstborn of every Egyptian, uh, all the boys and uh, the cattle as well. And uh, this is what it says in Exodus 11, 6. It says, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or will ever be again. Uh, but that none of the Israelites would die. Um, but God also tells Moses that Pharaoh is going to, re to refuse to let them go, but that, um, that he's going to harden uh, Pharaoh's heart, uh, partly so that, so, so that God could do this amazing thing in, in taking them out of Egypt. Um, so this is where God established... Uh, the Passover, uh, which is something that the Israelites would have to do uh, every year, but they would do it this first time on this particular day. And, um, and this is what, what, what they were told they had to do. Uh, each household was to take one, uh, take a one-year-old sheep or goat that had no blemishes, and they were to kill it at twilight. And then they were to take hyssop, and dip it in the blood and draw it or paint or whatever, put it on their door frames mm -hmm. and uh, on the sides and the top. And so they, they, they roast the lamb over a fire with the whole lamb intact. And then they had to eat it all that night. And anything that was left over had to be burned. Uh, they ate it along with herbs and, and unleavened bread. And said, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You're supposed to eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they weren't allowed to, to sit down and relax at the Passover meal. They had to be ready to go. Uh, they also had to stay in their houses until the morning. They weren't allowed to leave. I suppose so that if they were out, they lost the protection of this blood on the door. Mm -hmm. Um... And so God says that when he kills all these, these, the firstborn of Egypt, that when he sees the blood on the doorframe, he'll, he'll pass over that home and not kill the firstborn in that home. So God did exactly what he said he would do, and he killed all the firstborn Egypt, the, uh, male Egyptians. He says there wasn't a house without somebody who was dead. Mm. <clears throat> Um, during the night, uh, Pharaoh uh, summoned Moses and Aaron and said, "You know, grab all your livestock and your kids and your your wives and get out of here, and uh, and their flocks and, and go." So they left uh, with all that stuff and a whole bunch of the Egyptian silver and gold, and uh, it says there was. Um, 600,000 men plus women and children. So it's this huge, I don't know. I guess it's, they call it the Exodus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. Exodus. Yes. Okay. Um, and God led them uh, out of Egypt with a pillar of smoke uh, by day and a pillar of fire at night so that they, he could lead them in, at night or during the day. Mm-hmm. So after the Israelites left, though, Pharaoh 
Oh, it says God hardened his heart, and he, him and his counselors, his wise counselors, changed their minds. And uh, I don't know what they were thinking, but this is what they did. And uh, because they didn't, they were worried that they wouldn't have the Israelites to work for them anymore. And so they got their chariots together and all their men of war and went chasing after the Israelites and caught up to them uh, near the Red Sea. And uh, the Israelites uh, apparently hadn't seen enough of God's uh, work and they started to complain, uh, saying, you know, why did you bring us out here just so we're going to die from, oh, this is good. <laughs> Die from, uh, from uh, you know, at the hands of the Egyptians. But God told, uh, Moses told them to not be afraid. And that God was going to do something. And God told Moses to, to put his hand, I think he said put his hands over toward the, the sea. And that they, the, the water would part. It's just in big walls on either side. There was dry ground uh, for them to walk across. And uh, so they walked across, they were walking across, and I imagine it must have taken 600,000 or a million people. So it wasn't probably a, just a hop, skip, and a jump. But uh, Pharaoh's army followed them, and God sent them into confusion. And, um, oh, there, there they are walking across the sea. And God sent them into confusion. It says that they were getting their chariots stuck and things like that. So they decided to, to flee. Uh, but before they could, could flee, um, the waters came back. And uh, it says not one of them survived. They all died. Um, and the complaining that they had already started on that side of the Red Sea will continue. <laughs> on the other side of the Red Sea. And so, um, uh, let's see here. So they, they made it to the, the, the Desert of Sin, which I, I don't know if there's anything in that name or what. But they started to grumble. And uh, it says, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Um, so I guess they're looking back to Egypt and thinking it was pretty good. Um, and um, but so God, uh, though in His mercy, sent them uh, quails in the evening uh, to eat and manna. Um, which sounds like pretty heavenly stuff. I don't know what coriander seeds are like, but, and it's, what's it, wafers of honey or something. Yeah. So anyway, they, they Honey wafers, yeah. <laughs> pretty good. I yeah. don't know what they tasted like, but they were probably good. And so they provided for in that way, and then, uh, but that wasn't enough. I guess they started to grumble again. And uh, because they were thirsty, and God had actually already... Before the water came from the rock, he'd already made the bitter water. Uh, Amara, the water's Amara. Amara. Yeah, Meribah, Amara. Yeah. But um, anyway, so Moses uh, hit the rock with his staff, or 
Did he get it? That time he did, yeah. That time he did. He got in yeah. trouble for doing that later, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So he did, and they they got water and uh, to drink, and so they were provided for uh, in the in the desert. And um, it says three months after they left, they made it to Mount Sinai, which is when all kinds of other stuff starts to happen. So that's up to that point. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Becky, for. Uh, what you shared with us, giving us a good capsulation of what we have taken and, and what we're going to look at today. So, we are, our hook, main hook is uh, God delivers from bondage. And we have three um, sections that we're going to be looking at. Uh, first, that's the idea of God requiring or requires obedience. Secondly, God completely rescues. And third, God leads and provides lovingly, mercifully, and graciously. So let's uh, turn to Genesis, no, Exodus chapter 12, verses 21. Wait a second. No, not. Hmm. Did I forget one here? No, first we need to do Exodus 11, 4 to 8. Okay. So we'll. And could I have someone read Exodus 11, verses 4 to 8? So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Thank you. So... The tenth and final plague was that God would strike down the firstborn son of the, each family in the land of Egypt. Okay, and uh, again, um, God delivers from bondage, but in our first point, he requires obedience, and we're going to uh, look at that obedience, uh, the commandments that they needed to follow, the commands of God in regard to how to, that they could be spared from this terrible tragedy of the firstborn dying. And so could someone else read uh, Exodus 12, 21 to 23? and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. 
a perpetual pisip dividends of the blood in the basin and puts some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, you will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Okay, thank you, Brett. So, um, some very specific instructions here. So, what was God's one way for them to save their firstborn children, uh, sons, from dying? The sacrifice and the blood being placed over the door. That's right. Kill a lamb or a goat, a lamb of either a sheep or a goat, uh, one year old, and paint its blood or apply its blood to the tops uh, and the, the side door frames of the houses where they were to eat the lamb. And uh, as Andrew mentioned earlier, could they just then wander around anywhere they liked? No, what did they need to do? They needed to stay inside that house uh, uh, where the blood had been applied. And then instead of the angel of death, killing their firstborn, it would pass over and uh, keep going until it found a house where they had no blood uh, applied to their door frames. God had been gracious with Pharaoh and the Egyptians and given them many opportunities uh, to heed God's warning. Um, and, uh, and so there was something here that the Israelites needed to do, uh, you know, they had to trust God. They had to obey His commands, and they had to follow Him by faith. And, uh, and so, a lot of details. Uh, again, the day that it was supposed to be uh, uh, sacrificed was specific. It had to be on the 10th day of that month. Um, each family had to have their own lamb. And if the lamb was too much for that family, then they could get a second family to join them. That would be the appropriate amount to share that lamb. But then that family would have to stay, I would imagine, in that house um, behind the blood of the door there. Um, again, a sheep or a goat, one year old, uh, without defects, couldn't just be any, couldn't be lame or uh, injured, it had to be uh, without defects. And they were to take special care of it, kind of like fatten up, maybe even keep it close to the, uh, keep close watch of it, uh, on it, and, until the 14th day, and then they were to slaughter it at twilight. And, uh, and then there's a, a later thing that uh, when they, uh, as they cooked it, as they slaughtered it, cooked it and ate it, uh, later on there was a detail mentioned that they had to make sure none of its bones were broken. And, uh, and so, and then they had to, in a sense, rest in God and wait on God by staying inside until morning. Um, and, uh, and that waiting, you know, and sometimes God calls us to, to, to wait on Him. 
uh, and, and his timing for things. Now, which of the steps were the, was the mo most important? The first step, the second, third, ninth, tenth? All of them, that's right. Uh, each one of them was important. And so it wasn't uh, as simple as what God said to Adam and Eve and not to eat the fruit uh, from uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a very simple, basic thing not to do. There was, uh, this was uh, in the, more of in the active sense, things they had to do, and, and there was many details that they had to, had to follow, and they, and they did. And uh, so let's go on uh, to Exodus 12, verses 28 to 30. Now, I want you to check your sheets to make sure that that is the thing, because uh, uh, when I print them off, I noticed uh, that uh, twice it had Exodus 12, 21 to 23, but I tried to make sure in each one I stroked that out and put on 28 to 30. So in case I didn't do that with one of the sheets, then it would, it's been near the bottom of, the, of page one. And uh, so it's 28 to 30. And would someone read those three verses for us, please? Okay, thank you, Becky. Okay, so why did the firstborn of the Egyptian sons uh, die? Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they didn't uh, kill a lamb or goat. Uh, that was the only reason why the Israelites were spared, and uh, and so, yeah, they. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I kind of wrestled I with that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good point, and that's valid. I kind of wrestled with that question too, um, and but also thinking that uh, yeah, there were many children who died. Although the I think the Hebrew midwives. Um, kind of uh, helped foil that plan of Pharaoh to, to a large degree. But uh, they wanted uh, specifically male uh, Hebrew ch uh, children to die. And, and so this was also specified uh, male, uh, the oldest sons were, were to die. And uh, so, yeah, whether it's uh, uh, given them uh, 
their, their own taste of what they wanted to dish out. And maybe there was the, the aspect of the, the justice of God there. But uh, yeah, I uh, agree with you. Maybe the, the question would be better is why were they spared, the Israelites spared, uh, than the other way around. But uh, look at verse 30 again. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Um, and uh, yeah, the judgment came just as uh, God had said uh, through Moses to Pharaoh. They were told of what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah that's right. It doesn't say uh, in the passage we looked at earlier specifically what they could do to try to be spared. But uh, they were warned that this could, could happen. And uh, But we also uh, don't see them saying, oh, is there any way we can be spared uh, from that? So in a sense, they were still defiant uh, against uh, Moses and, uh, and uh, the God of Israel. Uh, now again, look, looking at uh, the Israelites uh, in a similar way as God saving Noah, giving spe specific instructions on how to build the ark, um, uh, God told Noah, you know, build the ark in this way, and then at the right time, he says, now get into the ark, you and your, your family, and all, two of every animal, seven of certain types of animals. And uh, Noah obeyed, and God uh, spared him and his family because God found him to be righteous, that he trusted God. And, uh, and we do see that in the, uh, as a part of his trust of God, he sacrificed uh, a blood offering uh, to God. Um, and just a, a reminder of what Brent, I think, shared last week uh, in regard to the similarity between um, the ark and the basket that Moses was put in. It's actually the same Hebrew word, teva or teva, uh, and, and so both were kind of, in a sense, vessels of deliverance. And, um, but, you know, again, there's some very precise instructions given to Israel about how they could uh, keep their firstborn sons. And, uh, and so they didn't want to be uh, like the Egyptians, they needed to obey. Uh, in, in faith and trust, a kind of, uh, in a fear-based one in a sense, but still it was faith and trust. And uh, again, there's uh, some things that are very important here that will um, have significant value as we go forward in our lessons. Um, symbolisms, okay? Uh, the spotless lamb or goat. Uh, a, a life taken for a life, uh, the shedding of blood, uh, a substitute. The, the lamb or goat died as a substitute for the oldest in that household, okay? And in doing this, God would graciously provide a covering of protection.
Okay. I just want to uh, think about what happened in uh, this story and, and thinking about uh, God's dealing with us. Here, God provided one way of escape uh, from the death of the firstborn for Israel. And it's the same for us, that God has provided one way for us to escape the punishment for our sin debt. Israel had to trust completely in God's provision, uh, which was outside of themselves. Uh, and it's in the same way, we, we can't look to our own efforts to save us. We have to look towards the way that God has provided for us. Israel came humbly and sacrificed a substitute lamb or goat. And in the same way, we must uh, have a humble, repentant heart and have faith in God's one deliverer uh, who would be to come, uh, who is our substitute. The Israelites wouldn't escape death if they didn't offer a perfect substitute. It's the same for us. We must choose God's perfect sub substitute. God's instructions to Moses revealed that the Israelites, to the Israelites that there would be a death, either their firstborn son or a lamb or goat. And uh, it's the same for us. Um, our sin debt demands death. Uh, the substitute's blood was shed in the place of the firstborn and God's deliverer would die uh, and blood would be shed in our place. The Israelites had to stand and remain behind the blood of their substitute. And for our rescue, we need to stand behind uh, the sacrifice of the deliverer that God, in where we are in the story, would send and we look back as having been sent. The choice of accepting God's provision of a substitute is the same choice today as well. It takes humility, trust, and obedience in God's way. For Noah and his family, um, it was uh, get on the ark and you live. If you don't, you'll die. Uh, for the Israelites, it was kill the lamb or goat and stay behind the door. Uh, that would mean life. And if you don't, it would mean death. And for us today, we too need a rescuer from our sin against God. Uh, we need to re repent and believe in God's provision, and then we will live eternally. And if we don't, we will die and be separated from God eternally. There are serious consequences when people refuse to listen to God and his message. Okay. Let's see here. So God, number one, God requires obedience. And secondly, um, God completely rescues. Um, could someone read Exodus 12, 31 and 32. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. Uh, so, uh, I, anytime I read that, it also bless me. 
Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and orders them to leave. And I just want to make a, a brief uh, comment about this uh, uh, last request uh, to bless me. And uh, in the book of Hebrews, there's a, a story of Abraham and I think a guy by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And uh, part of the understanding behind that was Melchizedek was seen as higher or greater than Abraham. And so when Pharaoh asked uh, Moses to bless him, it was actually, at this point, we know later he will become prideful and stuff like that. But at this moment, he is really humbling himself uh, in that he is saying that Moses and his God is greater than Pharaoh and his gods. Okay, so it is, uh, uh, if that correlation, which is, you know, only a few hundred years after the time of Abraham, uh, could have uh, still been that idea that the one who gives the blessing is considered the greater and the one receiving the blessing, the lesser. That's a good point, and uh, and I I really don't know um, that typically uh, the next in line would be the firstborn. Um, but he didn't die. But he didn't die, so. So that's interesting. Well, he, he, might have died. He, he might have died in the Red Sea, I suppose. Eh? He didn't die in the Red Sea. Yeah, because he, he was, was with, them. with them, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. But at that point, when his his son is the firstborn in his family had died, but he hadn't. If he was the firstborn, it's scary. Yeah, but uh, but 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 brother on the throne before him that was no longer alive. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Or perhaps had had died um, um, prior, yeah, prior to the um, previous pharaoh passing away. Yeah, but that's a that's an interesting because point, he though. Was, if he was the firstborn, like God was keeping him alive and showing him that he was more powerful. Mm -hmm. he yeah, I was just. Those things are coming. Yeah, no, very good. Okay, we'll go on to here, and I'll read this this one here. Exodus twelve thirty five to thirty six. The Israelites did as Moses instructed, and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Because of all that God had done, the Israelites found favor and possibly a, a good deal of fear in the sight of the Egyptians. Uh, and the Egyptians willingly gave the Israelites gold, silver, and clothing. Essentially, the Egyptians willingly helped uh, the Israelites plunder much, if not most, of their remaining wealth. 
as God's power, majesty, and glory was displayed in the plagues that undercut Pharaoh's power to show that Pharaoh was no God at all. God removed reasons for the Egyptians to have, fo have hope in their false gods, and God revealed that he alone is the Lord God. By now, God had uh, also destroyed their country and plundered their wealth. Now, what, what do you think that this, uh, what effect this would have had on the people of Israel who had been suffering such cruel slavery for so long? So long? Do you think it would have made them quite thankful? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They did seem to quite Yeah. But it, yeah, it could have had a huge impact. And in fact, you know, it might have been a shock, you know, for. Uh, so long being cruelly mistreated by these people, and, and now these people are just saying, here, take whatever you want, just go. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah. yeah uh, because, like, the Israelites, like, they would never, the ones that were alive at that time have never experienced freedom, because it's 400 years. Mm -hmm. You Yeah, that's right. Yeah, probably their parents had to, or their parents' parents had Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in regards to their God, it would have revealed to them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a promise keeper, was powerful and purposeful, that he is the we're truly worthy of worship. He is their hero, their rescuer. Uh, that they were indeed God's chosen people and that he loved them and had a sovereign plan for them and that God alone could set them totally free. And he promised that he would do so, and, and he did. Now think of what it would have looked like for two million plus slaves leaving a country, leaving their years of bondage behind, and walking out in total freedom. Just think about that for a bit. Having been to Egypt too and seeing the devastation of the land really makes it even more real. Hmm. You know, they have the big pyramids, but they have all this sand and houses that they built, nobody living in, like apartments that are rows of apartments, but people won't move out into them, and it's a devastated land. Hmm. Now, wow. And then try to find, you think about two million people, do we even see two million people together? And where can they, like, when we were driving along, even our in, uh, person was looking for a spot where that many people could be on the Red Sea, like, to get across it. Where in a place could be that? No, like he, it says 600 million. 600,000 men, uh, uh, I think men, yeah. Men, yeah. yeah. Plus the flocks. That's right. There had to be millions of flocks. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking, could, there, could this have been the biggest crowd that was ever like, mm. in the 
history of the world? I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking at some interesting facts about what they would need for supplies, and they'll be coming up shortly. Um, um, now, um, Pharaoh's humility, unfortunately, was short-lived. And uh, that, as uh, Andrew mentioned, uh, suddenly it dawned on them, oh, we just let all of those slaves uh, go. And, and so uh, th this caused uh, Pharaoh and his army to uh, pursue the Israelites shortly after they left to try to bring them back as slaves again. Soon Israel was trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And let's look at how uh, the people of Israel responded as Pharaoh's army uh, approached. And uh, let's see here. The one thing there, it said that God hardened his heart. He had given them opportunity to repent, to let the people go, and he wouldn't do it. And, and, and so at this point, now we think that God's going to give it to him. Uh, in here it says, God hardened his heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, which is uh, an interesting, you know, what point is the hardening happening? What, at what point was he still, um, and maybe it's even before Pharaoh, uh, like going back to um, the time of Moses when all these, uh, you know, when they wanted all those uh, baby boys killed. Um, was that hardening of the heart what you know in order to make a fool of pharaoh and you know also to uh, bring retribution on him for what uh, the evil plan which uh, in a sense was an attack on trying to eliminate uh, god's promised deliverer who was to come through the people uh, of uh, of Israel, and if all the baby boys would have been killed, then that, you know, you know, that was a plan of Satan to uh, try to stop the, the deliverer from coming. But uh, no one can stop what God uh, sets out to do. Well, if he'd given up earlier, you have all this picture of the Redeemer. It's like the the firstborn son and everything, um, and the you know, as you said, the sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. If he'd given up sooner, he wouldn't have been able to give that picture to the, to the Israelites either. Okay, yeah, that's that's right. That uh, that uh, there's definitely some huge symbolism. Now, there's other symbolisms that come in other parts of, yeah. like uh, the almost sacrifice of Isaac and the substitutes. Yeah. But but this one, I'd say, is even uh, bigger with more details that point forward to the coming deliverer. But uh, yeah, good point, Becky. Um, we don't have it on here. But, uh, could someone read uh, chapter 14 of Exodus, verses 10 and 11? As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Just turn around. Yes. Yeah, thank you. 
Okay. Uh, why do you think they responded this way after seeing all these manifestations of God's great power? Well, fear, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and to, to me, it kind of convicts me in the sense, uh, you know, they still didn't quite believe in God's ability to completely rescue. And sometimes, you know, I'm 54 years old, and God has brought me through many normal days, but also through many difficult situations, uh, some places where... I could have been very severely injured or perhaps died, but didn't. And somehow, when the next problem comes, sometimes there's a doubt, oh, how am I going to get through this? And, uh, and so, it, I feel convicted uh, about this too, that sometimes in the midst of all the wonderful, faithful ways that God has helped me through every day of my life, something new comes up and doubts can creep in and uh, and so um however uh moses uh, had some very important words to share and let's look at what he he says here could someone read that uh for us uh, exodus 14 13 and 14. moses answered the people you know be afraid stand firm and you will see Deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Okay. So, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Uh, God will fight for you. You only need to be still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, an amazing uh, command. We know after the fact that it was totally true, uh, but amazing the light of this uh, Egyptian army uh, closing in on them. Although I think to a certain point that that pillar of cloud uh, did come bef before them. In fact, it was... Uh, dark, if I remember correctly, dark on one side and light on the uh, the side of the um, Israelites. Yeah, and at any rate, yeah, that very night God would deliver them. The vast army of Pharaoh would be wiped out, and they would never be a burden again to the people of Israel. And Israel was instructed simply to stand still. Yeah, God put a wall, wall of cloud between the Israel and the Egyptians, with one side dark and the other light, he separated the two groups from each other the whole night. And I think we... Okay. Uh, Janet, you haven't read for a while. Could I get you to read this one? Then Moses stretched out his hand and the 
the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the wall of water on their right and on their left. Yeah, and that was uh, Exodus 14, 21 and 22. At Moses' raised staff, God parted the Red Sea all the way across, making a dry path to the other side. And this would not have been a little trail. It is speculated that there was room for 50 people to walk side by side. So when you look at a minimum of two feet, maybe three feet, probably three feet in order to be walking without stumbling over each other, so then you're looking at about a hundred, uh, at least 150 foot wide trail um, to get, yeah, all of them through. Plus, as Andrew mentioned before, all their animals, too. Uh, and that it was dry ground. And that was. That really stands out to me. Yeah, because it's gonna be bucky. Like you think of even like a puddle. When the puddle yeah. is gone, it's muddy, and this is a whole scene. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, amazing. Um, what do you think it would have been uh, like to have walked through the sea with walls of water on the left and and on the right? Scary. Yeah. How many have been through uh, a large uh, aquarium where you can go down alongside the pools and see the the fish or dolphins or sharks and stuff like that. I wonder if it was a little bit like that, that they could see, you know, the, the fish, uh, uh, yeah, a, a shark, uh, you know, maybe even a whale. Uh, we don't know, but uh, it, uh, uh, I would imagine the kids thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, uh, just, uh, just amazing. Um, but they, in the midst of walking through there, that showed a tremendous trust in, in God too, that God would keep those walls of water back for the duration of the night as they walked uh, through safely to the other side. Um, but the Egyptians uh, decided to uh, pursue, and after that uh, pillar of cloud lifted, they pursued in after them. And uh, uh, we're going to have to look up this first. It's um, Exodus 14, 27 to 31. And I'll take a turn here. Uh, Acts 14, 27. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, as the water stood up like a wall on both, side, both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. 
when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed, had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. A little earlier in the, that chapter, we uh, hear the Egyptians saying to one another, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Imagine their fear and horror as the walls of water collapsed and started rushing uh, over them. Every Egyptian who had entered the, the sea uh, of the everyone. So it does give an indication that some had not possibly. Uh, not one, though, that had gone into the sea escaped. But all the Israelites were saved. God completely rescued them. They now feared and believed in the Lord, in Yahweh God. And they believed in Moses as well. Uh, not as God, but uh, they trusted him, at least at this point, as uh, their faithful leader uh, after they had walked through the path that God had provided through the sea. Moses as God's servant. As God's servant, that's right. God had fought for them and he rescued them just as he said. Now, what do you think would have been the combination of thoughts and feelings as they saw the bodies of the Egyptians washing up on shore? Those bodies being up there, they no longer had to fear that somehow they were going to come and get them because they, they saw that they were dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, there, was, there was a sense of relief yeah. um, and, and perhaps joy in that aspect. I guess you might be thinking as strong as those Egyptians were, they weren't that strong. Yeah. Yeah. They no longer needed to be feared. And they were on dry ground on the other side. There's too many people. Mm -hmm. and when you mentioned that, the Israelites had gone through on dry ground. And I wonder if part of the problem that uh, with, uh, you know, it says the, the axles twisted and, and stuff like that. And I'm wondering if all of a sudden the ground became soggy. <laughs> and, and that was maybe part of the difficulty uh, that they were experiencing as well. I don't know. But uh, I wonder if uh, all of a sudden the, dry, the ground uh, that they pursued them under at some point wasn't so dry anymore. Uh, to make it more difficult for them. But it certainly increased their trust in their almighty God and his holy character. There might have been a, a little bit of a somberness as well, um, that even when your enemies are completely annihilated, there, there is still maybe a somberness of, uh, in that um, but a, a holy awe um, may have been very, you know, 
Yeah, an interesting combination of things. Invigorating, joyful, yet somber, uh, and a different type of fear. Uh, uh, a fear in the sense of awe of their God. Um, just like us to think of possibly how our situation um, as people with sin deaths is to Israel at the Red Sea. Just as Satan wanted to destroy Moses and Israel, uh, he wants to destroy us and keep us under his bondage. Uh, just as God told Israel to stand still to see his salvation, he tells us to do the same uh, because we are hopeless, uh, helpless to save ourselves. And just as God revealed himself as he set Israel free, he reveals uh, himself to us today as uh, even greater deliverer than the one who delivered Israel there. Um, and just as God destroyed the vast army of a superpower, God will destroy Satan, who's the God of this world, and his vast army one day. And just as God provided just one path of salvation for Israel, he provides us with his one deliverer. God has graciously opened the path, uh, the, the one path to freedom for our sin, Satan, from our sin, Satan and the lake of fire. It is his deliverer. He is our freedom now and forever. Um, so, let's see here. Um, now, did for the people of Israel uh, to um, be rescued, did they need to add to God's plan? Uh, okay, I guess in a sense they had to choose to walk through the sea, okay, but to walk through what God had provided. Um, but there are many people today who, perhaps because of pride, maybe because of their upbringing and what they've been taught feel that they can somehow deliver th themselves. They can uh, rescue themselves. Anyone want to share what is, is this in the way here? I'll just maybe move this. Uh, yeah. Thank you. What is ways that people try to rescue themselves from their sin debt if they understand that or if they have a concept of a, of a God, how they feel that they can reach God somehow. What, what are people's self-rescue plans? Okay, is... Uh, Is there a modern-day counterpart to the Tower of Babel? 
Well, I think people still today still like to big, build big buildings, uh, big towers, uh, skyscrapers, and, and stuff like that. I'm not sure if they're trying to reach God in the same way as Babel, but they are kind of looking to maybe human achievement that, you know, if I do enough, uh, achieve great things. Yeah. I mean, look at all the monstrous architecture that communist regimes make um, to to try and you know engineer this this uh, perfect society, make a name for themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's thousands of monstrosities. Or, or even I guess nationalism would be kind of, be kind of the same thing. You know, Hitler's yep. war um, machine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep, religion. E even in Christian circles, there's uh, an idea that, you know, if I go to church regularly, I put uh, money in the offering and stuff like that, um, that God will see that and will accept me. Um, those are good things, but that's not the basis of our salvation. say like related to that the concept of karma that you know you you, you put out good vibes and good to come back I'm not sure how to spell that. Is that yeah? And that, that comes up often, and it's so empty. Um, and uh, that along with uh, fame, um, just, uh, you know, how many movie stars or sports stars that uh, hugely successful in the, and talented uh, end up sadly taking their own lives because they realized that uh, the thing they were hoping for in there, it just, it didn't meet the needs of their hearts. It's, it was empty. I guess a more personal one would be just like to find the right mate. You know, oh. if, you just, if you just got that right mate. Yeah, well you have, okay? <laughs> yes, I yeah, have. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, 
Find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Yeah, um, and, and, and some people have, have this idea that uh, uh, I've got struggles as a single person. If I just get married, then those things will kind of just fade away. And then usually, they, so, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it can magnify actually those problems. Uh, rather, yeah, or new things, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah, yeah, false gods, idols. Actually, I'm going to put that small g. Okay. Very good. Uh, well, actually, very bad. <laughs> um, and uh, in the sense that, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are deceived into thinking that, uh, um, yeah, if we do these things that we, you know, are good or outweigh or bad or whatever it is, um, or, yeah, and just the thought that, uh, you know, God is loving and, uh, you know, so he won't really punish uh, sinners because he's a God of love. So sometimes it's a misunderstanding uh, of God as well. Um, and I think that's why we just have to be careful in, in our churches that we don't um, amplify these uh, false concepts of uh, being accepted by God, that we, we need to bring that good news the that's an answer to our sin debt is our sin sins have been paid for by our our deliverer Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is uh uh and, and sometimes uh, our sinful nature deceives us as well. Yes, it re the re origin was originally uh, from Satan, but uh, it is part of our sinful nature too that we, um, that deceives us uh, at times as well. I'd like to talk a, a little bit about the logistics of two million plus people uh, moving, traveling together, relaying information to one another, camping, um, led by Moses, one person. And, uh, you know, just, uh, let's see here, there we go. 
Um, here's what uh, a quartermaster general of the army, I think a U.S. Army, estimates would be needed to mobilize that size of a group. Um, okay, so Israel was 50 times the population of all the Yukon, which is about 40,000. So we're talking about rounding it off to 2 million. Let's say there's 2 million. Yeah, it's 40, 50 times the population of our Yukon. That's 40,000, uh, plus all their animals. Okay, no stores, uh, no vehicles. Um, they may not even had any maps. Um, that area of the world was sweltering by day and freezing at night. They needed tents, clothing, bedding, and the means to carry it all. They needed approximately 200 semi-trucks of food for each and every day. They also needed approximately 900 tanker trucks of water each and every day and 177 semi-trucks of firewood each and every day. Mm -hmm. They potentially needed 750 square miles to camp each night. They potentially needed up to 750 square miles to camp each night. So that's approximately, or actually over four times the size of Whitehorse within its city limits. So again, these are estimates, but those are huge, huge amounts. Yeah, like these, these were not problems that the people were making up. Yeah. No, they, they were, uh, um, they were, you know, realities, and that they had, that they were desert. facing. They're not, you know, but, I, I imagine they call it the desert for reason. Well, well, actually, wilderness is usually wilderness, wilderness and some people might call the Yukon wilderness as well. So it isn't uh, like. Right. Uh, there, there is definitely that parts that are desert-like, but there may have been some other parts that were more like the bush, you know. So they're they're w wandering in areas that are not well populated. Right. Yeah. But at that time, wouldn't you think that most uh, a super fertile place would be populated? That could be. Yeah. Like I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like now, it is a desert or a wilderness without all of you talking about that wood and stuff like that. It's like, you know. Yeah. It, it just, yeah, it wasn't a burning tree, it was a burning bush. It was just right. little bushes, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very mountainous, just like what it looks like that area. Okay. It's very much like that. It's not like even Egypt, it was the river that fertilized it 
you know, close to it, they had to have that river. Okay. Uh, in Egypt. So, um, no, <laughs> when they're crying out, no, they don't have. Goshen was a good land that they'd come from. Mm -hmm. What Joseph had given them their ancestors. But that was how many, and how many people went from Canaan with Jacob down to Egypt? Six, Seventy. Seventy people. Yeah. And out of that, they've got yeah. two million mm -hmm. come out. They were fruitful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And so we're continuing again to remind us of a theme, God delivers from bondage. So they're delivered from the Egyptians, but as we've been mentioning, there are realities, challenges of real life that they're face, facing. And in the midst of that, God is leading them and is providing uh, for them. Uh, could someone read Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22? It's the last two verses of chapter 13. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay. And... Uh, so the Lord went before them, leading them by that pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Um, so this was a representative of God's presence. He, God was traveling with his people, okay? Without him leading in this way, they could have easily gotten uh, lost and, and died without God's presence with them. Um, how do you think... Israel sh should have been thinking and res responded as they looked day by day um, at that pillar of, of cloud and night by night at that pillar of fire. Well, they should have had complete trust and peace and everything's fine. Yeah, so trust in God's complete provision and, and, and guidance. Um, he knew the best route. He, he didn't, uh, God didn't have to ask anyone for directions. That would have to be a big pillar. When you're thinking of that size of the area, so that would be the only thing that they would see is, is that pillar. That would, that would mm -hmm. keep that many people to be focused on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if I, uh, it's going to come up later, but I'm going to say it now. Uh, they, because it was really hot during the day, there is a thought that that pillar could have provided some shade uh, during the day. And the pillar of fire by night, which enabled them to travel at night, could have provided uh, some warmth for them as they traveled by night. Or if they were camped and that pillar of fire was there, they would have provided a bit of, of warmth too. Again, we're not there, but just thinking what clouds do for us today, uh, they do cool things off when, they, when the sun is covered by the cloud. And uh, you know, at night, we, we like to cozy up to a campfire. And this was uh, bigger than a campfire. And, uh, and so, um, you know, they, 
was God able to safely uh, get them through the wilderness and provide for all their needs? Absolutely. Uh, he was providing food, water, and safety for over 2 million people. Um, now, to a certain degree, they had some food supplies that they would have gotten uh, from the Egyptians. Uh, and they were supposed to make unleavened bread. They had to have that ready to carry for them. But eventually, those provisions ran out. And, uh, and so, um, they started complaining, uh, forgetting briefly about God's provision and power and setting them free, and that He was present with them. Uh, yeah, uh, they complained when the food ran out. And we can read about it in chapter 16, verse 6 to 8. I don't think, no, that, and I can read that. Exodus 16, starting at verse 6. Wait. Okay. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Okay, so um, God would provide for the Israelites. He would give them quail at night and bread in the morning. Again, for two million plus people in the camp. Uh, they didn't deserve it, uh, but God gave it, into, gave it to them because part of his character is that he is gracious, gracious yeah. And with graciousness comes generosity. And uh, why why would God show his graciousness in this way? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he often gives good things even to complainers. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and God is faithful even when we are faithless. And, uh, and I'm so glad he is. It wasn't long afterwards that, uh, as Andrew mentioned in his summary, uh, they ran out of water. And once again, what did they do? They grumbled and complained. Um, and this time they were even more upset. And, uh, and maybe because running out of water is a little bit more serious. Uh, we could go a number of days without food. Uh, but uh, it's hard to survive even one day without water. 
Um, and, uh, and this time they were prepared to stone Moses as if it was his fault. And now uh, I'd like us to notice God's response in Exodus 17 verses uh, 5 and 6. Could someone read that? Exodus 17, 5 and 6. Hashem said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and in your hand take your staff with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I shall stand before you by the rock in Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water will come forth from it, and the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa because of the contention of the children of Israel and because of the test of Hashem, saying, Is Hashem among us or not? Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, did God strike down the Israelites for their lack of faith and complaining once again? No, no, once again. He miraculously uh, provided out of love and, and mercy. Um, did uh, God tell Moses uh, to do just anything to provide the water, or did he give some specific instructions? Specific. Yeah, his instructions were precise. He was go uh, to either the mountainside or a specific rock, but in the Mount, is it Horeb? Yeah. Or Mount, yeah, uh, which is uh, another name for Mount Sinai, and uh, was to, to strike it. And uh, water came gushing out. Uh, they camped there for an entire year so that water that came gushing out equaled at least 900 tanker trucks of water per day for the year. That's kind of amazing. Um, God shocked them with the sheer power of his ability to provide out of his boundless love. And, uh, and we can think of Moses who acted in complete faith in God's provision and in doing what God had asked him to do in, in going over to that mountain or the specific rock, perhaps near the base of the mountain, uh, trusting that God would do uh, what he said he would do. I find it starting to get to break it down a little bit, like out of all of that, the elders to take the elders with them. Mm -hmm. I think of how do you do that? One person is leading all of these people. Yeah, and, and definitely there is later on going to be uh, some division to help spread the load. Uh, when uh, people are coming to Moses as uh, counselor and judge. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's some uh, 
some provisions there at the advice of his father-in-law and then later on uh, by a, a similar advice from God himself. So let's look at uh, this complaint, uh, these complaints of Israel in the midst of God's provision. God didn't forget them, forget about them when they were in bondage in Egypt. Uh, he blessed them by multiplying them greatly, like uh, Judy uh, alluded to. They started off uh, with 70 people in the land of uh, Egypt, and now 400 or 430 years later, there were over 2 million. Um, and that despite heavy oppression by Pharaoh um, and, and, and him uh, trying to, to kill them off, at least the, the male children. Uh, God miraculously sent them Moses and even had Moses trained by their enemy, Pharaoh. He grew up uh, in Pharaoh's house. And I'm wondering if that made, uh, even though Moses um, you know, tried to give all these excuses why he couldn't go, I'm wondering once he did go, if he found that he actually was quite comfortable because he knew exactly where the palace was, exactly where uh, Pharaoh's throne would be, um, you know, that, that training in, in Pharaoh's household uh, would, would give him the ability to know where things were at, at least. Uh, it, it would have been very valuable information. Um, God destroyed Egypt with plagues, all the while protecting Israel, who were uh, uh, close by, in Goshen, close by, but... Uh, um, and that, that would be interesting to see, you know, for they lived in Goshen, but they had to work for the Israelites, you know, just how close that was. And so, but uh, God protected them during the plagues. God miraculously parted the Red Sea and destroyed the army of the super, superpower nation of, of Egypt as he led his people to safety. And he led them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And, uh, and he did this in the midst of, you know, God being all-knowing, knowing that they would grumble and complain, and which they would do time and time again, despite the provisions of water and food in the desert. At some point in the future, they're going to complain about the manna. Um, they whined and complained and rebelled which showed their doubt in God's leadership and ability to provide despite what God would do over and over again. Um, they were in the midst of a barren desert or wilderness. God was present with them in the pillar of fire by night, uh, cloud by day. They were relying on God's constant care, which he was doing faithfully, or they would die. Um, but it's always good to bring it back home and think about God's unchanging love and faithfulness to us. You know, we can count on certain things happening day by day that uh, the earth is suddenly not going to lose its place in its uh, path around the sun. Um, he 
He controls the laws like gravity and so many other things that keep us alive here. He provides the oxygen, uh, ability for us to get food and, and clothing and, uh, and water. He gives us our each and every breath. Uh, he has given us his word to reveal himself and his plan of redemption for us uh, out of love so that we would have the opportunity to trust him and his plan. He has revealed our sin and our bondage to Satan as well as uh, providing through his word, revealing his way for us to escape it. Uh, he provides a deliverer so that sinners might be accepted by him. And he offers his very best to each of us, a relationship within himself uh, for all of eternity. And have we done anything to merit this amazing provision and grace? No. Um, all he asks us is to trust him. Trust in what he has done for us and provided for us. He gives and gives and gives some more, all because of his love. And unfortunately, people often use the very breath that God has given to them to curse him, to ridicule his word, and doubt him by putting faith in other things. Like... At great achievements or, or science or, or, or whatever people think will trust, they can trust to get them through. Uh, money, um, um, false religions, uh, false gods, and, uh, and good religion like Christianity that's often not understood well. And where people think that just by attending church or because their parents attended church and they attended church, that uh, somehow uh, that's good enough. Uh, finding the right mate, you know, the right woman, the right man, health and wellness, karma, or collectively uh, nationalism, uh, thinking that, uh, in fact, Many people's names for themselves are often uh, a translation of the word the, the people, which gives an idea that uh, we're better than other people. Uh, nationalistic pride. Um, just want to read this. Reminder of the sovereignty of God. God has total control of all things past, present, and future. Nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control. All things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own purposes. Through his perfect will and timing, he is the only absolute, all-powerful ruler of the universe. Uh, we have a great God. And just a reminder, God delivers from bondage uh, God requires obedience, God completely rescues, God leads and provides. Again, what do you think that we need to do with these rescue plans? Throw them in the garbage. Okay. Yeah.
special. Does anyone else want a, a try? No. I know it has to be scrunched. <laughs> I I don't think that this is worth praying over. Yeah. My my confidence in life is not based on whether I can make this basket or not. Okay. Uh, let's just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for this amazing story of this great deliverance uh, from bondage that you provided for the people of Israel. And we thank you for you having even a greater deliverance available to us through your deliverer, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for how you provide uh, for our needs each and every day. Uh, not only for ours, for, but for seven plus billion people all around the world. And we just thank you for that. And we do pray for people who are oppressed, like the people of Israel uh, experienced oppression. We do pray that one day they might uh, experience uh, deliverance from their oppressors, especially their spiritual oppressor, Satan, but also if in your good graces you could deliver them from evil rulers as well. Lord, forgive us for the times when we grumble and complain or we doubt your ability to help us in certain situations. We know you can, and we thank you for your amazing patience for us. Through Jesus Christ, amen.